How can God be just and holy and forgiving all at once? There's this tension, but as we're going to see, this paradox is no paradox at all. In fact, God gives us everything that we need in order to be justified by him. This is season 10 of Guerrilla Christianity. My name is Pastor Brett Walker, and I want to thank you for listening to Guerrilla Christianity, an unconventional, no apologies exposition of God's grace from an evangelical Methodist point of view. And God's Word is central to all we believe, so let's get into God's Word right now. And I would invite you to take out your Bibles, either the ones that you brought with you or the ones in the pews, and turn in them with me to the book of Romans, chapter 4. You're following along in the Pew Bible. It's found on page 158 of the New Testament. We are continuing in our series called Reconciled to God. In his letter to the church in Corinth, Paul writes, Be reconciled to God. We read this on Ash Wednesday, and throughout the Lenten season, we are going to be looking at Paul's writings to see what it means to be reconciled to God. Last week, we looked at the free gift of God's grace. Now, as Protestants, we believe that we are saved by grace alone. This week, we are looking at how we are justified by faith alone, which is a crucial tenet of the Protestant Reformation. Let us hear the word of the Lord for us now. Romans chapter 4 and beginning of verse 1. <clears throat> What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that is justified, that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin." Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith which he had yet been being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he, hath yet, hath, which he had, being yet uncir uncircumcised." For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. 
Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is a faith that might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. I have often been asked, what's the difference really between Protestantism and Catholicism? What is the major difference? What is that which separates us? After all, I mean, it wasn't a small thing that the Protestant Reformation happened in the 16th century. You had people like Martin Luther and John Calvin and Ulrich Zwingli uh, who were leading the charge to believe in a particular thing, which is justification by faith alone. This is what separates us from the Catholic Church, our doctrine of justification by faith alone. It's a Reformation principle, and it's based in Scripture. Paul, in the reading in Romans today, tells us that we are justified by faith apart from works. And he uses the example of Abraham from Genesis 15. So how exactly is our faith counted as righteousness? It's trusting in God and believing in his word that the righteousness of Christ is imparted to us. But even this faith is a gift from God. We read in Ephesians chapter 2 that We are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. Ultimately, if any of our works justify us with God, then he is a corrupt judge who can be bribed. And if we are justified by our works, then we are glorified in our works and not God. But because faith is a gift from God, and because we are justified by faith and not works, God is glorified in our salvation. It is his initiative that reconciles us to him by his grace through our faith in Jesus Christ. So we have to understand a little bit about the structure of Romans. Romans chapter 1 begins with Paul's uh, laying out the groundwork and saying that Throughout history, people have had all the evidence that they need to follow God, to believe in God, and yet they have rejected him over and over and over again. And as they have rejected him, he allowed them to turn their backs on him. He doesn't force anybody to follow him. He doesn't force anyone to believe in him. Instead, he allows them to do what they want to do. And then when they realize what a mess that they've made of their lives, they repent, they return to God, 
and they are redeemed by God, by his grace. In chapter 3, he begins to lay out this argument that all are unrighteous. And that means that none of us deserve God's grace. And so he writes, uh, what then? As it is written, verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. He's quoting from Psalm 14. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are altogether become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. He's making this point that there is no one who deserves the grace of God. Nobody. No human being on earth. Then he starts to make this argument to say, well, how then are we justified? How can we be brought back into the grace of God? How can God forgive sinners and still be just and the justifier of sinners? How can God be just and holy and forgiving all at once? There's this tension. There's this seeming paradox. But as we're going to see, this paradox is no paradox at all. In fact, God gives us everything that we need in order to be justified by him. And so, uh, at the end of chapter 3, he's arguing for righteous, that righteousness is imputed to us through our faith and not by our works. As I said in the introduction, that, that if God were to accept our works as payment for our forgiveness, then he is a corrupt judge. He's accepting a bribe, okay? We committed a crime, we deserve the punishment, and instead of the punishment, we offer to him something that is going to buy back our uh, freedom, our, uh, our grace, as it were. If, we, if he allows that, then he's not just. But if he doesn't, then he can't forgive. And how do we reconcile these two things? This is what he says. So as he's making this argument, he begins in chapter 4 by saying, What shall we then say that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? So he says, everything that I've been telling you up until now, I'm now going to prove it by using the example of Abraham. So what has he been saying? He's been making this argument. Uh, let's read um, verses 21 through 25 of Romans chapter 3. This is what he says. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. The righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He has to reiterate that point. He keeps driving that point home. Everybody has sinned. Everybody needs salvation. Being justified freely by his grace 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. So this is the argument that God is set, that, that Paul is setting up. And then he says, so let's look at Abraham, our father. Okay. Paul is making this argument based on the example of Abraham, who is the father of the Jews according to the flesh. What shall we then say that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? Verse 2. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. So if we're justified by our works of righteousness and not our faith, then we may boast. And you see a bunch of people running around in heaven going, look at what I did. Instead of pointing to the one who gave his life for us. Instead of pointing to the one who gave us life and breath and everything that we needed. We're pointing to ourselves. Look at what I did. The creation is exalting itself above the creator. Ephesians chapter 2 Verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Because if we can work our way into heaven, then we can brag about it, then we receive the glory. Now, we've been talking about justification. If Abraham were justified by works, what does it mean to be justified? What is justification anyway? I've been using this word a lot. And if we're not careful as Christians, um, we can use words that mean absolutely nothing to some people. And so I want to look at what justification actually is, because these uh, theological terms can sneak up on us. So first of all, we have to understand that God is just. He is just. We like justice, don't we? We want justice for other people most of the time, but we do believe in a system of justice. We believe that if you do wrong, then you need to be punished. Okay? That's justice. Look at what happened in the last few days. There was a great trial down in South Carolina where a man named uh, Alec Murdoch was convicted of murder. He killed his, or, you know, was convicted of murdering his wife and his son. And what if the judge had turned around and said, yes, you did these crimes, but you know what? I like your face. I mean, you're a nice guy. Why don't you just uh, go home and forget about it? We'll call it a day. That's not justice. That's not justice. It's not justice for the people that were murdered, and it's not justice for society. God is just. Why do we desire justice? Because we're made in the image of a just God. So God is just. That's the first part of justification. The second part of justification is we have broke the law. Now, I don't know any, is there anybody here who has not broken the law? You know, we're all sinners. Paul even says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we're all sinners, and because of that, we have broken the law. It's who we are. But now, we owe a debt because of that law breaking. When we are convicted of 
breaking a law, then there is a punishment that follows. Okay? Guess what? Jesus took our punishment. Jesus paid the price for our law breaking. And because of that, God can count us righteous through our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what it means to be justified. Because we're guilty, but we can be made innocent, not, not not guilty. That's the legal term. The legal term is found not guilty, right? We can be made innocent. Our sin is wiped clean through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And that's what it means to be justified. I like to think of it this way. It's just as if I'd never sinned. My sin debt is wiped clean. And the only thing that God sees now is the righteousness of Christ in me. Not that I have any righteousness of myself, but it's my faith in Jesus Christ that allows his righteousness to be imputed to me by God. And then God can say what Christ did on the cross, he did for you. And now you are justified. Okay? So that's what it means to be justified. That's what justification is. So, verse 3. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed in God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Abraham believed God. Now, belief here is an expression of faith. He has faith in God. What is being quoted here is... Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6, okay? God takes Abraham out of his tent and he, at night and he says, look at the stars if, and count them if you can. This is what your descendants will be like. You'll be like the, your, your descendants will be like the stars in the sky, will be like the sand, the grains of sand on every shore. In other words, he's going to make into Abra out of Abraham a nation. But guess what? At this time, Abraham didn't have children. He was about 87 years old. Uh, Sarah was 77. They were past having children, and he was okay with it. But here is God saying, I'm going to make of you a nation, and nations shall come from you, and kings will come from you. Okay? He doesn't even have one child let alone a multitude. But, and this is where it becomes critical, Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness because he had his faith in God. God counted it as righteousness. Not his acts, not his works, but his belief, his faith. Verse 4, now, to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Uh, let's put it in plain English, okay? If you work, you earn a wage, okay? And nobody says that that wage that is given to you is a gift. It's not. You earned it. You worked for it. So he says, to him that worketh is not the reward. It's not a gift, but... It's of debt. You earned it, okay? So going back to last week's message, faith is a free gift. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says, 
for the wages of sin is death. So we work at sin, we earn death. That's our wage. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's a, the difference. What we earn is a wage. What we're given is a gift. Okay? A gift is not something that is earned, but is given in love. And verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So, we believe we are justified by faith and not by works. It is through faith in Christ that his righteousness is imputed to us. Now he takes a little bit of a departure and he talks about David, okay? Now, first of all, I have to point out that um, verses 6 through 12 are not part of the lectionary. Um, I read them through and we're going to be looking at these verses because I think they add to the message, all right? They, they help to underscore um, Paul's uh, argument here, okay? So first he points to David and he says... Even as David also describeth the blessing, the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Now he's quoting from Psalm 32 right there. Those are the words of David. David wrote these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Think about what it says. Uh, he is declaring that the one forgiven by God apart from works is to be blessed. In these quoted verses, there's nothing said about working for forgiveness or adhering to the law, but the grace of God is on display in the forgiveness of sin. Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven, not that they work for their forgiveness, whose sins are covered. Not that they cover them themselves. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not. It's an act of God's will that he will not impute sin. And why? Because of the righteousness found in the faith of those people. Now we come back to Abraham, verse 9. He says, cometh this blessedness. First of all, Abraham's faith was counted and reckoned to him before the circumcision. This is the argument that, that uh, Paul is laying out here. That all this was imputed to Abraham before he was circumcised. The Jews point to their circumcision as what ties them to God, what makes them covenant people of God. Okay? And Paul says... It wasn't the circumcision. He was reckoned as righteous through his faith before he was circumcised. So, verse 9. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Now, when he says the circumcision and the uncircumcision, what he's really talking about are two sets of people. Those who were circumcised otherwise known as Jews, and those who are not circumcised, otherwise known as Gentiles, okay? Those who are not in the covenant are the uncircumcision. But, he says, verse uh, 
Again, the distinction between the circumcised and the uncircumcised is the distinction between Jew and Gentile. Circumcision for the Jews occurs at eight days old. It's not a conscious decision by the one being circumcised. Okay? It's done. Their parents make that decision. Their parents are going to raise their child. It's a mark of their covenant promise to God to raise this child in faith. So verse 10, how then, how was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. So Genesis 15, 6 is what we're talking about here. It says that Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. But the sign of circumcision is given to Abraham in chapter 17, two whole chapters later. Paul, or I'm sorry, um, Abraham wasn't even circumcised until he was 99 years old, okay? And that was when God instituted this sign of circumcision. Verse 11, he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. So first he says, he says, because his righteousness was counted to him as faith, or as faith was counted to him as righteousness, before he was circumcised, that makes Abraham also the father of those who are uncircumcised circumcised the spiritual father and then verse 12 and the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father abraham which he had yet being uncircumcised so he says just because you're jewish just because you're a descendant of abraham just because you're circumcised doesn't mean that you're walking in faith as Abraham walked in faith. And so Abraham is the father of all those who walk in faith, whether they are uncircumcised or circumcised. <clears throat> Let's stop talking about circumcision now. All right, verse 13. Uh, verse 13. Righteousness is counted by faith, not adherence to the law. Now, verse 13, he says, for the... For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So note that the law of Moses did not even exist in this time. The law of Moses didn't even exist. So how could he possibly be justified by the law? How could righteousness be imputed to, um, to Abraham when the law doesn't even exist. And so it's not a work of the law. Uh, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 17 says, And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should be made the promise of none effect. What he's saying there is, the law didn't even come for 430 years after Abraham, and yet he was counted righteous by faith, not by works of the law, because the law didn't exist. Verse 14, For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and a promise made of none effect. 
If we can earn our way to heaven by adhering to the law, then faith is nothing. Let me, say, let me put it a different way. If we can earn our way to heaven by adhering to the law, then Jesus died for nothing. If there was any other way apart from his atoning sacrifice for us, <clears throat> then he wouldn't have to die. Okay? Because, verse 15, because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. We talk about like the, the, the West, the Wild West was lawless, right? People did whatever they want. They went in, they, they, they want some money, they, they hold up a train, you know, they, they go into a saloon, they get into a fight, they shoot somebody. It was a lawless world. But if there's no law, then they can't break the law, right? Um, if, if, if there's no law that states how fast that we can drive on the roads, then we can drive however fast we like. We can go as fast as the car will go. That's not necessarily safe. And so the law is in place to protect us from ourselves. Okay. Okay, so verse 16. This is where Paul really reels it in and, and calls us to see that we are saved by grace alone and justified by faith alone. Verse 16. Therefore, it is of faith. And when he says, therefore, he's summing up. Okay, he's summing up everything that he said before. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace, by grace, to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. It's God's grace on which we depend for our salvation, not works of the law. God's grace works in conjunction with the gift of faith. In this, justification is an act of God and not us, that he may be glorified. And verse 17, he says, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. What is he talking about? I've made thee a father of many nations. In Genesis 12 and verse 3, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay? And then it says, before him whom he believed. Who did Abraham believed. He believed in God, even God, who quickeneth the dead, who raises the dead to life, and calleth those things which be, um, I'm sorry, which calleth those things which be not as though they were. Let me put it in a different way. He made, he commanded things to be. Okay? When there was nothing, he spoke into nothing. And, and commanded everything to be, and everything was out of perfect obedience because he is God, right? And so God is the master over life and death. He created all things out of nothing. We can believe in him because he is our maker, because he loves us. Now, <sighs> Book of Romans, it's, it's dense, theological teaching, okay? And sometimes when we, when we read this, we can get 
our eyes glaze over and we go, what the heck is he even talking about? We might look at a passage like this and we think to ourselves, so what? So what? How can we apply this teaching in our lives? Now, this is not an argument for antinomianism. Antinomianism, it states that we do not need to obey the law of God. Okay, antinomianism, anti meaning against, nomos meaning uh, the law. It's against the law. We don't need the law is what antinomians believe. But that's not what this is saying. It's not saying that the law is void because of Christ. Jesus said to his disciples and to us, by extension, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So what can we take away from Paul's words? We are saved by grace alone and justified by faith alone. Our loving Father is gracious and forgiving. When we believe in Jesus whom he sent, then Jesus' righteousness is imputed to us. All of his righteousness is put into our account and all of our sin is placed on him. What we could take away from this is that there is a God in heaven who loves us in spite of our sin. And he offers to us this grace freely. We receive it by faith and we are counted as just. He is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And he has given us this free gift of faith through which we are counted righteous. It's all an act of God given in love and to him be all glory, honor and praise. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of faith that you bestow upon us. We thank you that you have counted us righteous because of the obedience of Christ. <clears throat> we were doomed, destined for eternal hellfire, and yet you res rescued us by sending your son to die the death that we deserve so that in him we might live. You deserve all the glory for our rescue. It's not our works that save us, but the faith that you give to us and so we desire to do good works in your name. To you be the glory. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode. My hope and prayer for you is that today's teaching has blessed you as much as it has blessed me putting this message together. God has also blessed me by calling me to serve two churches in Salem County, New Jersey, Ebenezer United Methodist Church in Auburn and Hudson United Methodist Church in Pedricktown. If you live in the area and don't have a faith community of your own, I'd like to invite you to join us on Sunday mornings. Ebenezer meets for worship at 9 a.m. and Hudson meets for worship at 10.30. We are Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, Christ-adoring congregations in the heart of New Jersey's farmland. And we also have Bible study during the week. Of course, if you don't live in the area, get involved with the church where you are. We are not called to be Christians in isolation, but in community. So I would encourage you to live out your faith with a group of like-minded believers where you are. Now, if our message today has touched you in some way, won't you please let us know? Send us an email, drop us a comment, subscribe, and share this message with someone who needs to hear it. Keep learning, keep growing, and I pray you will join us for Guerrilla Christianity again. Until then, remember this, Christ died for you. Now go live for Christ.